Since last week then, this idea of how often are we hiding our light under a basket has played in my mind over and over and over again. How often are we hiding the truth that Jesus wants us to live out? How often are we not pointing to Jesus when he wants us to point to him? How often are we removing ourselves from shining in the darkness, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in, in, in our church family and beyond? So I want to talk about that for a little bit. Living as kingdom people by letting the light, the true light of Christ shine. And a couple of principles occurred to me as I was getting ready for this. Um, and I think that, um, a, that address some of the obstacles that we have. The first principle is this. When things don't make sense, look for God. When things don't make sense, look for God working. Look for God inviting. Look for God um, telling us to do something different, to think differently, to act differently. Because when things don't make sense, usually we, we, we think there's something wrong because we wouldn't say it, but in our arrogance, we think we, uh, we should be able to understand what God is doing. And so oftentimes we don't. And so when things don't make sense, instead of getting upset about it, we need to look for God to see if maybe in this thing that doesn't make sense, this thing that I don't think should be this way, God is inviting me to let my light shine in a way that I hadn't even thought of. Because we're, 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 um, we tend to think upside down. Another principle is this, when things are not as we think they should be, look for God. When things are not as we think they should be. We, um, when we're young, we grow up with these ideas of what it will be like when I get a job. And this is how the job will be. What it will like, be like when I get married. And this is how marriage will be. What will it be like when I have kids? And this is how it will be. When I, when I get older, this is how it will be. And we have these ideas of what we think it should be. And then inevitably, it doesn't turn out that way. And we get upset and frustrated instead of saying, maybe God is up to something different. Because we're way more upside down than we realize. So when things are not as they should be, we think they should be, we need to look for God. God is often inviting, working, refining, moving in ways that we fight because we haven't surrendered to him. So those, that's kind of the foundation for what I want to talk about. So what does it mean to live as kingdom people? Number one, kingdom people live lives of true love. Just saying those two words together, Will, will cause all kinds of things to come to mind. True love. In this world, that, that phrase is used a lot. But what is it that God means? Um, and in, a, in a scenario where even people who claim to follow Christ often get wrong because we're way more upside down than we realize and the emotional investment when we talk about love is so high. So being immersed in our culture, we automatically, are, we automatically um, go to ideas that aren't true love. Biblical love 
This is my definition that, that I have used for a while. I'm sure other people have others. Biblical love is doing what is best for all in obedience to God. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's an action. It's doing what is best in obedience to God. It, it, it's not just about me. But in our culture, love is generally about me rather than about the other people. And so I wanted to take a quick look at what is considered in the Bible the love chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So turn your Bible there, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to kind of get a foundation of what it means to live as kingdom people who are living the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. Rather, and more and more right side up. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So speaking in the tongues, and, and so he highlights, this is, an, this is an incredible act, right? If I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, if I have prophetic powers, another incredible ability, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And, and so he highlights three different acts that would be in an upside down culture, these incredible acts of ability and, and notoriety and sacrifice and, and that, that people would be drawn to and, and acclaim. And he says, you can do the, the, the most incredible thing in the world. But if you don't have love, it's nothing, zero. We live in an upside down culture where we are drawn to people who do these kinds of things. And they have horrible character. They treat people around them awful, but we still give them accolades. And he's saying, it matters not. And then he goes on to define love. See how you measure up. In the hard relationships. In the ones with people who persecute you or hurt you or would be considered, consider you an enemy as well as those who are close to you. Because Jesus said, love your enemies, right? Love the people that are hard to love. Love is patient and kind. Right there. <laughs> We could spend all day. Love does not envy or boast. It doesn't want what somebody else has. It's not arrogant, proud about itself or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It doesn't like that phrase, karma. Right? Which is all a part of our culture. All a part of our culture, right? There's something in us that goes, oh, see, he's getting what he deserves. No, love doesn't rejoice in the things that happen that hurt the other person. It rejoices with the truth, no matter how hard it is. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So he says, shining our light 
is love, living lives of true love. This kind of love. As God nudges us in every arena of our lives, without exception, that's shining our light. That's what being the light of Christ means, is living lives of love, true love. Verse 11 says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Don't, and, and, and I think part of the meaning of this is don't assume that you know how to live a life of true love, that you've arrived. Because we still are children in the things of spiritual reality in so many ways. We are far more upside down participating in the culture's ways of love and relationships than we realize. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now in part, I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, relationship with God, related through Jesus Christ, hope, a certainty that God is, is working, and love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Doing what is best for everyone in obedience to God is the highest priority in our lives. And that's what it means to live the light of Christ. So my que I come back to the question is, how much are we hiding that light under a basket by not being obedient to God? And that's actually a question I don't think we can actually answer because we lie to ourselves. We are deceived by the ways of this world and other things, and we think we're doing better than we are. It's actually a question that we have to ask God when we get on our knees every morning and say, God, show me, as I surrender to you, show me those areas in my life where I'm not being obedient to you, where I'm not being loving. And then if you're like me, you start arguing with him. When he shows you that, you go, no, I don't do that. Herb, just shut up and listen. Because I'm trying to help you be a light and get the basket off. Living lives of love. Knees and nudges. And then the accountability of our memory verse. There are times when we need somebody in our Let me... Personalize it. There are some times when I need somebody in my face saying you're not being very loving. Because I don't see it. That's the accountability. That's the Hebrews 10. Let us stir one another up to doing well. Accountability. So I, I gave you uh, in your outline a whole lot of stuff and a whole lot of scriptures because I want you to be able to take it home and think about it and look at it later because we're not going to be able to do an exhaustive study on what we're talking about. But I want to lay kind of this out there for us. So that's true love. Number two is kingdom people live true love in action, both close and far. Um, and so I, I've identified some areas here, some that uh, the Blackabees highlight as well, where we need to be living lives of true love and speaking the truth in love. So turn over in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4.
<clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. We're going to look at a bunch of scripture here. And again, highlighting it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I therefore, I therefore, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk, which is behave, live, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the standard is Jesus. It's not us. It's not comparing yourself to anything but Jesus. With all humility, being willing to hear the hard things when people speak it to us and when God says we're doing, not doing well, and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. How do we let our light shine? How do we get the basket off? We live that kind of love. Humility, gentleness, patience, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then in um, chapter 4, he begins to talk about the essential nature of living in that context of a local church body. At verse, uh, so in your outline, um, we need to live lives of love King, as kingdom people, true love and action in a local church body. Because that's the context by which we grow up in our faith. Look at verse 4. Ephesians 4, 4. He says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He says, we belong to each other. That's the point. It, it, the point is not individuals living their lives in relationship with God. It's communities of people living their lives as the light of Christ together. And then he goes on to say some pretty profound, make some pretty profound statements to us about how we grow up in our relationship with God. Because the, the, the context of Western culture is individuals. And so I just need, I need to study, um, you know, in, in my room alone. And, and we do, we need to do that. But that's not what he says where we really grow. Scripture, not me, down to verse 11. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, read all Christians, a saint means Christian, Christ follower, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So it, it, the, the function is so that we become the body of Christ who can be the light of the world, um, his body, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, his purpose is that as the body of Christ, it functions, the the teachers, the leaders function in their function and, and the, the toes and the hands, the eyes and the ears function together that we will grow up into maturity individually and together. That's the way it works. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness and, and deceitful schemes. That's a good description of Western Christianity. Somebody said it's a mile wide and an inch deep. And as a result, when this stuff comes around, people get blown off and, and, and thrown aside and, and frustrated and discouraged because they didn't really get grounded and, and grow to maturity in Christ. And, it, and a lot of it is because of the lack of connectedness and accountability with one another. 
He says, rather speaking the truth in love, truth in love. That's, we looked at that verse last week. The truth in love. What is, true, what is really real in love, 1 Corinthians 13. We will then grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with, it, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the arms get healthier and the legs get healthier and the eyes get clearer and the ears get sharper and the body grows together. So over the last two and a half years or so, I've had all kinds of gut problems. I don't know why. I don't know how. I, I, you know, it's just been problem after problem after problem. And there, there are mornings when I, I would wake up in the middle of the night, I would wake up and my gut would be so out of whack, I would be I'd just be in pain and didn't think I could function. And not once did my, did my hand say, well, I'm fine. And my legs say, well, I'm good. I don't know what your problem is. My eyes and ears go, well, come on, suck it up. Get on with it. No, when my gut was out of, out of whack and when I was in pain, my whole body was cooperating with it. Go on, come on. Oh, it just, it, it, because our body, when one part hurts, the whole rest of the body is a problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You get a, a, a head cold and your whole body goes, oh, I'm done. Just get a blanket, curl up, get something hot to drink because I'm not moving either because it just, all the, all the energy goes to trying to heal itself. Mm-hmm. So what makes us think that that's not the way that the spiritual body works. Amen. We need each other, and we need help one another become the healthiest so that we all become like Jesus. That's the point, so that we become the light of Christ in a world that is desperately in need of him. I remember, um, you know, I, my mind often goes to the worm brands who were um, under Nazi Germany and then under the Soviets, they were persecuted. And I, I just often think about how their story is not stories of individuals. Their story is about the community that they were a part of. And then when, when they went to prison, the other Christ followers that they found there, it was never just about an individual. I mean, sometimes they tried to separate, the, but it was never just about the individual. It can't just be about the individual. It's about all of us. So as an active part of the church family, that is the context by which we discover what real biblical love is in action, and then we practice it together. As a part of Christ's body, look at verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace meaning God's favor, God's skills, God's abilities, God's talent. He says, the hand has certain abilities that the foot doesn't have. He says, and that's the spirit working. He doesn't give the same thing to everybody. And then beyond the walls, it's, it's sometimes us being the walls, rotary spaghetti dinner or, you know, serving in the community, doing different things, sometimes individually, sometimes um, as a group, but it's the church gathered and scattered. We gather together. That's why to the chagrin of some people, I call this place HQ, headquarters. Because it's where we gather 
to get marching orders so that as we go from this place, we're soldiers in action. Gathered to scatter to be the light of Christ. Then look at verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their, thing, of their minds. And in the context of this chapter, we realize that's only possible together. Because the strategy of, of um, isolate, uh, you know, what, what is it? Uh, I drew a blank. What is, it, what is the phrase? When you separate one person and you are... No. <laughs> no, that's not easy. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. So separate people from one another so that you can isolate. It's, it's the, the wolf getting the sheep the, you know, that's last in line, that's behind everything, and just isolating. So just get them apart so that they can't function. He says, um, so don't walk in, in the futility of thinking. They are darkened. Remember that last week? We talked about Jesus coming as light in the darkness. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. That only happens as the body functions together. Then he goes on to detail the contrast between living right side up and upside down in our character, in our action. It's a wonder. Those chapters are powerful and wonderful. But jump down to chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. In the midst of all that he's talking about, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Notice when he's talking, he's using plural. He's, he's not talking about individually. He says, he's not saying, okay, Herb and Dave. And, you know, he's not saying individually. He's saying, together, be imitators of God. Walk in love. As Christ loved us, there's the standard. And gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Living lives of love, sacrificing, being willing to do the hard things. And then he moves to some specific instructions and relationships. And I want you to notice the context for living in these relationships is living lives of true Love, truth and love that makes us the light of Christ. So where most of our time is lived, here's, here's, you know, here it is. And it's about being light. So in the nuclear family, spouse, children, parents, extended family, let me just highlight a few scriptures from this passage. And in each one, I want you to note that it's living lives of love so that we are the light of Christ, especially when it doesn't make sense, or those relationships haven't turned out the way that we thought they were going to turn out. The context is looking to God to see what he's up to. Because here's a clue, for, especially for those of you who are younger, life never turns out the way you think. Does it? Even day to day sometimes, right? I remember it. I remember it. So, you know, a little bit of my story with an abusive dad. So I vowed when I got married, it was going to be perfect. <laughs> I could see what my dad had done, but I am, I am going to love Jesus. I'm going to love my wife. 
And then when we have children, I'm going to love those kids so much that they will never disobey me. They, will, they won't even dirty their diapers. They will love me so much. They will be perfect. Hey, <laughs> none of it happened. But there have been moments that were better than I thought they would be when I let God be in charge. There's a lot of moments that it doesn't even come close to what I thought. So when we go to God and we ask Him, so oftentimes what we'll hear is, I'm giving you opportunity to be the light. To live in a way that's different than other people. And this may not even have anything to do with your spouse or your children. This may have to do with somebody else that's watching. Or somebody else. And it may have to do with developing your character. But you have to trust me. You have to trust me to do what I'm telling you to do, even when it's hard. So the nuclear family. So in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Respect them. Follow their lead. But notice, as to the Lord. It's not what you want, it's what he wants. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Are you kidding me? I thought marriage was about making me happy. It's about making us holy. Right? (laughs) Because the standard is, Not husbands love your wives so that you get all that you want. It's so that Christ is glorified. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up. And then in verse 33, he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and the wife that she respects her husband. And then children in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's not about you. And it's not just about the parent-child relationship. It's about the Lord. It's about being the light of Christ in the world. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment. It's what God has told us to do. And then in verse 4, he flips around to the fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's It's not about the children. It's not about the parents. It's about Jesus. That's the design. And so when things don't make sense in our parenting, we go to the Lord. God, what is it you want me to do? When things don't make sense with our parents, we go to the Lord. Because so oftentimes when things don't make sense or they don't turn out the way that we want them to, God is working in ways that we can't even imagine. And he doesn't tell us. He says, trust us, trust me. In the workplace, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, bond servants, or we can substitute workers there, employees, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not if they tell you to do something that's against Christ, but in honor and respect to them. Why? Because it's not about your job. It's about being the light, living by truth. Masters, so he flips it. Employees, bosses. Do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, that there is no partiality with him. In other words, if you are managing people, if you've got people below you, you're about, it's about being the light. You've got to get the job done, but it's about doing that job in such a way that Jesus is pleased, that God is pleased, that God is honored. 
So in every relationship, in every place that we are, so whether it's the local church or it's our home or it's our workplace, it's our neighborhood, wherever we find ourselves, it's about being the light. And the question to ask God when we're on our knees is, Lord, show me any place where I'm putting a basket over the light in any of those areas. Because I've watched bosses who claim to be such great Christians and then they treat their employees with oppression and meanness and yell. That's not being the light. And then I've watched exactly the opposite. And the employees look up to them and love them and they want to know why they're different. They're being the light. And also as part of the big C church, the kingdom, and this is the unit 11 that we talked about as being a part of the big C church, having God's heart for people everywhere. So when people um, on the other side of creation are hurting, that are are following Christ, God gives us heart for them. That we are to have kingdom eyes and kingdom heart um, that only God develops. And we talked about this in our unit is the only way for God to develop his eyes or the only way for us to have his eyes and his heart is for him to develop it in us as we surrender, listen, obey, because we can't do it on our own. And then we talked about we need to obey in kingdom assignments outside of, of our, our local area um, as we listen for God's nudges, we don't dismiss the impossible. And, and that's a lot of what the Experiencing God Week was about is, is um, God sending people to do things in places that they didn't think they could do. Don't dis- dismiss the impossible. Ask God for more instructions and then take the first steps. Now, having said all that, um, I wanted to talk with you about something that I believe that God has done in that kingdom mentality outside the local area with New Song. Water's Edge Church of God is in Cape Coral, Florida. Um, and I've already talked to, I talked to the leadership team and the governance board um, about this. But I, I felt like this needs to be, this needs to permeate us as a whole congregation. This would, what I sense God nudging us to. Um, so when the hurricane went through South Florida, um, it hit a bunch of different churches, but it hit the congregation, Cape Coral, Water's Edge Church of God in Cape Coral, where Russ and Debbie Evans are part of in the wintertime. You know, somebody's got to go to Florida, I guess. Not Kevin and Denise yet, but <laughs> We're, I, I'm praying, God, just let them stay here. They, and they're, going, they're going, we don't have the clothes. We can't do that. Um, but, and um, so over the years, Russ has talked to me about that congregation and the pastor. And, and I heard of the pastor. I didn't know him. Uh, but after that hurricane went through, it just lodged here. Not for all the churches in Florida. I, I know other pastors in Florida better that got hit and had even more damage to their, their facility. But for some reason, this one. And, and that's, um, that's one of the ways that we need to pay attention is when God nudges about a specific thing. Because we can't, we can't have um, our hearts broken for everyone around this world. It's just not, but for the ones that God wants us to. And so I just felt nudged, and um, so Russ gave me Pastor Don's phone number, 
And I called him up after all of it. And um, I, was I was concerned about him and the emotional toll of all of this. And, and then as he started to tell me a little bit of their story, my heart broke even more. In, in 2019, there were about 75 people in the congregation. And they had two other groups that would share their facility and help pay rent. During the craziness of the last two and a half years, they had five key people who died of COVID. Leaders, workers, givers. So, and, and then some other things happened. People didn't come back. And now they're at 25. And, and losing the workers. Not just the finances that those people would give, but the key people who, who help make the congregation just work. Um, and so he was telling me about the loss in finances and the difficulties that were there even before um, the, the hurricane. And my heart just broke for him. Because I'm thinking, I can't even imagine. And then he started telling me that he's having health issues himself. In fact, he's scheduled to have his thyroid removed and, and he's got some other issues that are going on. And my heart broke for him because now the stress of all of this. And then I said, well, what, you know, what about the facility? He said, well, it came through. And so I want to show you some pictures that he sent to me. Um, the first picture is, this is a picture of a debris field. So the, the city of Cape Coral is going down every street in the city picking up debris. You know, the, the stuff that people are putting out, the, the parts of houses. They've, he said they're good, they have to make three different passes because it takes time for people to tear stuff out. And, but just, they're all, and they're 90% of the way through the first pass of picking all this stuff up. And they, this is a picture of, of a debris, they call it a debris field where they're gathering this stuff. There's three of them. They're a quarter of a, a, quarter of a mile square. And the debris is 60 feet tall. And they're going to open another one. And that's just the first pass. Um, he, and the next picture, he says, this is a community not far from them. This is from a community not far from them. Um, and he said, this is pretty typical of the kind of um, stuff. And, and he said, this, Matt Latcha, he says, is a community just pretty much wiped off the map. Probably won't ever exist again. The third picture is of their sign out front um, and the power lines that just came down and uh, it looks like the sign survived. The fourth picture is, so that's the, at the top of the roof, this is just a, um, a sample picture because he said the, the uh, wind was 100 miles an hour blowing water sideways. And so what happened is it tore off some of the, the soft and all that, and the water came in at the top and, and came down the walls. So in through all of the um, insulation, all of the inside of the building. And so the water damage wasn't just from coming above, it was driving it through the building. Um, 
The next picture is of the, their worship area. He said they took 350 gallons of water out of that carpet. 350 gallons of water. Um, he says, if you look to the, at the ceiling on the left, he said about a quarter of the ceiling has to come down because the water was driven into the ceiling. Um, and then the next picture is, this is above the soundboard um, where there, were, there was actually water in the fixtures. So, in the le- so if, you know, there was water in the fixtures themselves. So they're tearing that up. We don't have a picture of their six classrooms upstairs, um, and there was water all through those. He says, all the flooring in the whole building, the tile, the hardwood floor, the carpet, all of it has to be replaced. Have to repaint the entire building. Said um, they haven't found mold yet, but it's still a possibility. And if that happens, there's going to be even, even more. And then the last picture is where they're meeting. It's a chapel in a funeral home. Now, and I, and I think this, what I'm about to tell you, I think is part of the reason why um, God nudged us. They didn't have any place to work. They can't use their building until it gets repaired. They didn't have any place to worship. And so Pastor Don approached the funeral home director. He says, can we rent your chapel? The funeral director said, Don, you have been such an integral part of this community. You have invested in this community. You have served this community. Because they used to have a ministry to first responders where they would have days when they would just have coffee and, and hot dogs and all that stuff. And just, ha- you know, we appreciate you. And, and they've been actively reaching out there. And he said, because, because of all that you've done for our community, I can't charge you. You can meet here as long as you want for free. That tells you the character and the, per, you know, the focus that they have. And it just sounds like the heart that we want, right? It's just to make a difference in the community. So they're there until they get a fix. So the status is, he said, God has been providing. When I talked to him originally, I said, we want to help out, but we don't want to get in God's way either. Because if God wants to provide supernaturally, then you know, we don't, but we want to partner for you. Over and over and over again, he says, the number one way that you can help is to pray for us. Pray for me, pray for our congregation. Um, and, and I thought, that just reveals his character. He says, if you want to give, that would be great. Um, he says, but God has been providing. Um, I think he said... It, um, the damage total is coming in about 300, 350,000. Um, he says they have a $35,000 deductible. The contractor's knocking that back uh, to just take some of the pressure off. Um, they have received $7,000 through the uh, Church of God in Florida. Um, people all over the country send it to the, so that's kind of like the headquarters and they distribute it to the churches. He says, congregation members have given above and beyond. They've sacrificed. They, they had several lots on the back property and they sold that. He said he thinks that will get them through a lot of the, um, the repairs. And so as I'm listening to him, I, I, I just, I said, with two, I, this number came to mind. With $2,000, right, for now, help. 
And he said, oh, we, we can take care of other things, but that would get us through about half of January, was just being able to pay the bills. I said, okay. So I checked with the governor's board. They said, yeah. Now, here, here's another piece of this, how important it is for us to follow God's nudging. The last two capital fund campaigns, um, uh, I just got a nudge that we're supposed to tithe on everything that came in. So for those of you that weren't around, we were raising money to finish projects and um, just do the physical stuff. And, and so that was to take care of the building. But, but I sense God wanted us to set aside 10% of that for a congregation in the future that would need help building a building, repairing a building, you know, just doing, doing something. So, so for eight years, money has been accruing in there, and, and we'd look at it sometimes go, what are we supposed to do with this? Nothing. You know, nothing. God didn't tell us anything. But now, eight years later, after we started this, I think we've got about 14,000 accrued in there, um, and God nudges us. If we hadn't followed the nudge eight years ago, that money wouldn't be there, and it wasn't for us. And now at least $2,000. I said, okay, in January, we'll check again, see how you're doing. And, and we'll go from there. So I'm not asking you to give any money because the money is there. What I'm asking you to do is to pray and to be aware of this is the kingdom mentality. Amen. It's not about us. It's about God, whatever God wants to do, wherever God wants to do it, however God wants to do it. And then Shannon after reading this stuff in preparation for today, she said, should we send a work team down there? That hadn't even occurred to me. I don't know. That, that's why we need to pray. Because if God wants us there, we want to be there. But if that's not what God has for us, we don't want to be there. That's where we're at. She just wants to go to Florida. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> no, we'll just send Russ and Kevin. Russ, they're already in the vicinity. And so actually, Russ is, is a part of the repair team. You can go on their website, and, and oftentimes they'll post pictures there. Russ actually did their website. So I say all of that to say, I think God, and I express this in leadership, or the, the learning communities, is I believe that God ha wants to use us in ways beyond ourselves, and beyond even our local. He, because it's kingdom Right? It's not us. It's kingdom. It's whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And throughout the book of Acts, you see example after example after example. They never considered themselves just this congregation. They always considered themselves the entire body of Christ. Amen. Are the kids still in here? One of them? Okay. Let's sing it again. After having talked about what it means to live as the light of Christ, I want you to sing it again. What? Okay, just put a slide up. Okay, what do they need to do? Tell them. Get your light up and please stand up. Are you ready? This is the light of mine. mine. 
I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, this little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, shine all over Pittsburgh. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Good job. Thank you. You can be seated. Lord, I pray that you would take what we've talked about today for each one of us and all of us and cause us to see through your eyes, have your heart, and live as your light. Prod us, poke us, convict us in areas where we need to take the basket off of our light. And we need to live for what you want us to do. So guide us. Lord, we pray for the Water's Edge congregation. Maybe they could be meeting right now. God, would you overwhelm them with a sense of your presence, your encouragement, your strength, your confidence that you really are in charge? And, and um, God, allow us to, maybe our partnership will just kind of be enough hope and help and encouragement to get them through. Tell us whatever else you want. Lord, we will follow your nudge. I pray for Pastor Don especially that you would bring about healing in his body and encouragement and, and lift up his, his emotions um, for all the physical stuff and the family stuff that he's struggling with. God, um, just give him all that he needs. Let him know that he's not alone and that you'll see him through. We put ourselves in your hands, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.